So onto the word, we are talking about Gideon. You remember Mike last week talking about how Gideon found that army of 300. Do you remember that? And um, uh, how he spoke about choosing the people you walk with. If you're going to have victory, if you're going to stand tall, if you're going to make a difference, choose the people that you're going to walk with wisely. You can be friends with hundreds of people, but the people who are going to impact your life, who are going to stand with you through tough times, choose those people wisely. And indeed, be one of those people well to others. And hence, sign up for Connect Group. I think that's a really great place to find your people. But nonetheless, it gave us a vision of how, what's possible together. What we can do in the company of like-minded people. And we're going to continue the story of Gideon. So you can uh, look in your Bibles or you can just look on the screen. Gideon has now chosen his 300 or God has chosen them for him. He whittled down his army from 32,000 to 22,000 to 300. And the story goes in in Joshua, in Judges 7, sorry, Judges 7 from verse 8. It says this, Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, Go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern people had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. I don't like camels that much, so I don't know how I feel about that. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hand. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. And I feel like just worshipping the Lord with a hand clap there. I feel like that's just so great. I love how, how God, you know, Gideon has been through this moment where he's identified the, he's let go of all the people who had fear. And he's, he's whittled his army down to those 300 really, really committed people. But then we discover after that a secret. Because God says to him, if you are afraid to attack, go down to the Midian camp. Where does he go? down to the Midian camp. In other words, he was afraid. I don't know, fear is so endemic in our society. You know, think back to that time where you first went to dinner with your prospective father-in-law. Do you remember that? Those of you who haven't got there yet, just think about what that would be like. You know, now, after, after you've like... Um, taken a mouthful of food and some of it fell out and kind of landed on your chin and you've kind of 
cleaned it up, and then you reach over the table and knocked his, uh, um, what he was drinking over him, and you know, you, you awkwardly answered the questions, you know, the heart rate going, you know, that feeling of, oh my word, I'm going to die. Do you remember that? Maybe you didn't have it with your father-in-law, maybe you had it somewhere else, but that feeling of, oh wow, this is going south, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this alive. But you know, fear, fear of starting a new job, fear of starting a new relationship, that fear of, will I be good enough? Will I make it? Do I have what it takes? Don't raise your hands. But how many of you have felt some of those things? How many of you have woken up the morning with that feeling of dread in your heart? How will I make it through the day? I know none of you, but really, all those other people out there, You know, fear is something that human beings en masse face regularly. But here's an interesting fact that psychologists tell us. Is that there are only two intrinsic fears in human beings. In other words, there were only two fears that are like hardwired into your biology. And that is the fear of falling. All you women in high heels. And the fear of loud noises. (laughs) Some of you are nodding. But those are the only two things that give babies a fear response. Now that's fascinating because that means that every other fear you feel, you've learned it. You weren't born with it. That means that every other fear somewhere Someone told you a lie. Something told you a lie. And as human beings, what we do is we find, we find ourselves paralyzed by something that's not even real. But God in his compassion says to Gideon, Go down if you're afraid. In other words, I understand your humanity. I understand that that you are battling with thoughts and fears and, and understandings in your mind that are restricting you from being all that you could be. And therefore, I have made provision. I have made a way for you to find freedom from that so that you can walk into your destiny. You've heard that acronym that goes for fear, false evidence appearing real. You've all heard that. It's so true. It's so very true. But for many of us, fear stands for forget everything and run. It's like, pick up your skirts and you just get out of here. How many of you felt like that? You know, it's like, uh, leave this job, get out of this relationship, just run as fast as you can in the other direction. Because one of the things that fear does, it tells you, if you go forward, if you walk into the situation, something bad is going to happen. And I want to propose to you that God never made you to experience that emotion. I want to propose to you that the enemy is sitting in your ear and telling you about the bad things because he is terrified of your destiny. 
He is terrified of what you could be if you stood up and walked forward and took charge of what you are meant to do. Obey God and walked into what you are called to do. I want to propose to you that he is quivering in his boots. I want to propose to you that he's a nervous wreck. You know what that is? That's a shaking ship at the bottom of the sea. I want to propose to you that he is a thousand times, maybe that's too small, a million times more afraid of you than you are afraid of anything in front of you. And that he will do anything to stop you from doing what you're called to do. So God comes to Gideon, and God is so wise. He looks straight through Gideon's proud facades, his, you know, beating of chest. Oh, I'm the big one. I can do anything with 300 people. He looks right through, and he looks into Gideon's heart, and he says, oh, I see some fear there. Oh, my word. He's going to stop at the most important time. He's going to, he's going to be afraid and turn back just when I need him to go forward. So he looks into Gideon's heart and he says, I've got to do something about that. He whispers in his ear louder than the devil, if you are afraid, go down into the Midianite camp. And this gives us a great clue about how we deal with fear. Because Gideon didn't respond to God, what, me afraid? No, never. I mean, I'm a warrior. I've, I pulled down those idols. I stood up to my people. I counted 32,000 men. You know, I'm, I'm the man. Of course, no, me afraid. Here's the thing, is that Gideon faced his fear. Gideon looked it square in the face and said, yes, it's true. I'm afraid. But I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to do what he says, and I'm going to trust that there is a God who loves me he didn't have the scripture, 1 John 4, 18, which says perfect love casts out fear. But he was demonstrating it. He was standing there saying, there is a God who loves me. And if I follow him, his love is going to invade that place where that fear is. And he's going to transform me from a quivering wreck into a mighty warrior. He's going to make all the difference. I can trust him. C.S. Lewis, who was a very famous theologian of the last century, says this about that one verse that I quoted. Perfect love we know casts out fear, but so do several other things, ignorance, alcohol, passion, presumption, and stupidity. It is very desirable, desirable that we should all advance to that perfection of love in which we shall fear no longer. But it is very undesirable until we have reached that stage that we should allow any inferior agent to cast out our fear. So what he's actually saying is saying we all feel fear. And we all know that God is the answer to our fear. But very often we choose inferior solutions. Because we just want it over with. We want to forget everything and run. 
But there's a promise in scripture. If you will face your fear, and you will face it in God, and you will listen to his voice, and you will do what he says, he will cast out that fear in such a way that there will be a victory on this other side that the world will stand aghast at. If you want to process, do what he did, what Gideon did. Feel your fear, then follow God. Do what he says. And stand and face that thing that you feared. And when Gideon went down there with his 300, later on there was such a grand victory. Because he refused to step back. But he also acknowledged his humanity. And he said, God, I need you in this. And I will follow the steps you give me to break through. It carries on and it says this, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. That was part of the dream. You remember he went down there and this man, this Midianite, is telling his friend about this dream he had. And in this dream, this round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the camp. This guy then announces that he is talking about Gideon. That this round loaf of barley bread is actually Gideon. Now, I don't know how you feel about this. But if God is going to give someone a dream in which I am a loaf of bread, I want to be like a French baguette. You know, I'm just like <laughs> that, that round loaf of barley bread. In fact, barley bread was the food of peasant farmers in those days. So it was really pretty much an insult. You know, this, and it wasn't like a shapely, muscly loaf of bread. It was this round, pudgy, as, far, as wide as it is high thing. And it's not even like marching bravely into camp. It's rolling unceremoniously, tumbling. By chance hits the tent. It's a very, very, very unromantic or un... Um, exciting picture of Gideon. And yet this incredible victory happens. So the, the guys who are telling the dream, they know exactly that the barley bread is Gideon. Why? Because the Israelites were peasant farmers. That's who they were. They wanted, weren't a strong, mighty force of people. They weren't warriors. They were peasant farmers. And they ate barley bread as their staple diet. The Midianites, that tent, they knew it was the Midianites because the Midianites were nomadic herdsmen. Hence, all those millions of camels all over, like the sand of the seashore. I often, when I looked at that, I was wondering this. I was wondering this. You know, the promise God gave to Israel was that their descendants would be as numerous as the sands of crane on the seashore. I wonder what the Israelites, they're standing up on this hill and they look down and their enemy's camels are taking their promise. The enemy's camels are as numerous as the sands of the seashore. How many of you had a dream and you know you've been holding on to it and you've had words from God and it just seems like everybody else around you is kind of getting this stuff.
I want to tell you, don't give up. Because the God who promised is faithful. And look what he did for Gideon. He will do it for you. I'm amused that God talks about Gideon as being this, this round barley loaf because it's just so ordinary. You know, it's just, it's like he's, he's not pictured as this mighty warrior with this gallant sword. He's not pictured with, you know, just a huge following. And I feel like there's, there's something profound in this, in that God loves ordinary people. You know, I, I, I see this throughout the Bible, how God uses ordinary people. He uses the barley loaves of life. I was reading this one book recently, and this chapter came up, and it just blew me away. Did you know that there were two occupations in Israel that were considered like the lowest of the low, like nobody wanted them. They were just taboo. People just, ah, we don't want that. The two occupations were first fishermen, because fishermen had to, when they caught their fish, they had to throw away the, the unclean fish, the fish that the Israelites weren't allowed to eat. So they touched unclean things often. So the Israelites, ooh, we don't want to be a fisherman. The other thing, the other occupation that they really, really hated were carpenters. Because carpenters made coffins and they doubled as undertakers. When anyone died, they fetched the body, made the coffin, put the body in the coffin. So they touched dead bodies. And the Israelites didn't want to touch any unclean thing, including any dead bodies. When God chose to come to earth in a small little nation, in the middle of nowhere, really. I mean, if you've been to Israel, it's beautiful, but, you know, it's not Cape Town. <laughs> you know, when he chose to come, he came as a carpenter to a people who would despise that. And then when he chose the men who were going to change the world with him, he chose fishermen. Why did he do that? Because he is determined to show that ordinary people matter, that there's no such thing as someone who's too small, too old, too young, too big, too small. There's no such thing. That God chooses ordinary people. In fact, he loves ordinary people so much, he made seven billion of them. He looks into your life and he sees the treasure of heaven. He doesn't see the person who just failed that exam or that person who doesn't know if they can make it through work or the person who messed up in that relationship or the person who uh, chose the wrong dress and arrived at a wedding in something someone else is always wearing. You, you know, it's just, he, he chose... He chose you. He chose ordinary people. He chose ordinary people. And that's great because that means that over your head is a sign that says, 
victor, conqueror, hero. I'd like to introduce you to a lady called Harriet Tubman. She looks lovely, just like all of us round bar barley loaves. She lived from 1822 to 1913. She was born as a slave in the U.S. She was treated horribly, um, had severe head injuries from the abuse she experienced, suffered headaches and um, dizzy spells her whole life because of it. At the age of 25, she ran away from her, her owners and um, escaped to the free states in the U U.S., and then started something or worked with something called the Underground Railway in which she rescued slaves from the south of the U.S. She smuggled herself in, rescued them, and then smuggled them out. After she had rescued 70 other people and brought them to freedom, the Civil War broke out, and she went and joined the army fighting for the liberation of slaves. She was the first woman ever to lead an armed expedition into enemy territory in which 700 people were rescued. Guys, it's ordinary people that change the world because it's ordinary people when they say yes to God, they become inhabited with his presence and they march out and do things that they could not have done before. I think most of you are too young to remember this, but on June the 4th, 1989, well, actually it started on June the 3rd, there was this crazy demonstration in China. All the students from the university came out and started protesting against the lack of democracy in China. They wanted free speech, they wanted a whole lot of things, and they, they came out en masse. And the Chinese army went in en masse and slaughtered thousands of them. There was a world outcry, but China didn't seem to really worry about that. The next day, on the 4th of June, the students, those who were left, came out again en masse. And as the tanks were rolling into Tiananmen Square, where they all were, this little lone man, no one even knows his name, no one's even heard of him again, no one knows who he was. He walked out into the middle of the square, and you can see he's like a really unassuming fellow. Can you see that? He's not even like standing up with his arms. He looks like, almost like he, he kind of found himself there and didn't know what to do about it. But basically he walked out in front of the line of tanks and he just stood there. And the tanks had two options. In front of all the TV cameras, the entire world watching, to ride over him or to stop. And they stopped. And no students were harmed that day. And this man that no one even knows his name, who knows what happened to him after this, he just said, no, this won't happen. I don't have a huge amount of money. I don't have an army behind me. I'm not particularly brave, but I can take my little um, suitcase that he's carrying there and I can just walk out in front of those tanks. And if I die, I die. But if I don't die, there is a victory for God and for his kingdom and for the truth that will stand forever. 
You know, I do think that the greatest barley loaf of ever, ever made was Jesus Christ. As I said, born in a stable amongst the animals in this nation that really didn't score anything on the greatness scale as far as world empires go. Never wrote a book. Never had a TV show. You've never heard one of his podcasts. And yet, he just obediently, day by day, went about doing what his father said, saying what his father said, loving people, bringing a new way of being human into the world. And day by day, relentlessly, he pursued his journey, obeying God until he hung on the cross and died for you and me. And even then, you know, we have historical accounts, but very few because it passed pretty much unnoticed in world history for those people who didn't know Jesus, for the people who knew Jesus was huge. But he obediently did everything that God said. And he won a victory that has changed the world, that has set nations on fire, that has transformed civilizations. There's a scripture in 1 Peter 2, verse 7, it says this, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And it's like Jesus just managed in a very, very hard barley loaf. You know, he's been sitting around for a long time. It's a stone that rolled down into the camp of the world, hit the tent of the Roman civilization, shattered it, obliterated it, and caused the world to be turned upside down. The stone that looked so ordinary and normal and unimpressive that was reject, would be rejected in so many ways by people looking for fame and fortune. And yet Jesus Christ, as an ordinary man, became the foundation on which the greatest truths and the greatest liberation have been built. Daniel 2 tells this interesting story. Daniel, a, a prophet many thousands of years ago, had a vision. And in this vision, well, he didn't have the vision. The king had the vision and he interpreted for the king. But the vision went that there was this mighty statue. And the statue had a gold head. It had silver arms. It had a bronze chest. And it had um, iron, and, iron and clay legs. And this was a magnificent statue, all powerful. And in this dream, a rock, a small stone came rolling down the hill. And hit the statue on the legs. The statue was obliterated, turned to dust, and blew away in the wind. And this tiny rock became a mountain that filled the whole earth. And it was a prophecy about Jesus who would roll into the world and would who would strike at the very heart of the empires of the day, the Persians, the Greek, the Romans, and, and they would fall beneath the truth that he carried. And this seemingly insignificant occurrence in a tiny little village, really, would become the foundation of a new way of living become the foundation of God's king, kingdom invading the earth 
of God standing up and transforming societies of making things new. Lastly, it's, Gideon goes back to his, um, his camp. He's worshipped God and he tells them, Get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. The last point I want to make is that God is going to take you. You're going to face your fears. He's going to speak into your heart. You're going to get up and do the next thing he says to you. You're going to acknowledge your ordinariness, and you're not going to despise it. And you're going to say, if a barley loaf can destroy a a camp of Midianites, what could I do? You stand up and you obey God to walk into your destiny. And guys, that looks like at work tomorrow morning, seeing your colleague across the room looking up a downcast. You're going to go up and you're going to say, hey, what's up? You're not looking so great today. Can I pray for you? That's when your boss tells you to take the, you know, to write out the proposal, but add a few extra noughts somewhere that you know, shouldn't be, you're going to say, no, that's not how we do it here. We're better than that. That means loving your children relentlessly, even when they're driving you bananas. That means unafraid stepping into the new challenges before you. It means walking into your future confident that with God, things can change. Jesus said this in John 14, 15 to 17. He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The love that we have for Jesus motivates obedience because we trust him. And we want his kingdom manifest in our environment. At the same time, as we step out and obey him, there is this presence of the Holy Spirit that comes upon us to empower us. And we are filled with something that is more than ourselves. And the glory of that motivates a deeper sense of love for Jesus. And as that deeper sense of love for Jesus grows in our heart, we are motivated to obey him more. And as we obey him more, we have more of his presence. And as we have more of his presence, we obey him more. And so it goes, this never-ending cycle of increasing glory and presence and grace. There was a man called Brother Andrew. I think he's still alive, actually. And he, for many years... Um, smuggled Bibles into Eastern uh, Europe when the communist regime was covering that area of the country of the world, and the people were not allowed. Christianity was outlawed, and so under threat of death, he smuggled Bibles in continuously. I don't know if you know that, but Pastor Sam in the front here is a Bible smuggler from her child, well, from your teenage early twenties. 2004, she was smuggling Bibles into China. Nearly did get arrested. And now we have, I don't know, an unimaginable amount of churches in China thriving because people took the step to obey God and bring bring the gospel to those people. But this man made this great statement. He said this, whenever 
wherever, however you want me, I'll go. He's talking to the Lord. And I'll begin this very minute. Lord, as I stand up from this place and as I take my first step forward, will you consider this a step towards complete obedience to you? I call it the step of yes. Can we make this a year of the step of yes, the yes step? That we just say, yes, God. Yeah, I feel the fear, but I'm going to face it and I'm going to follow you and I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to walk into the destiny that you have for me. My yes step, my year of the yes step. Face your fear, live the life God's given you, obey God to walk into your destiny. And as Gideon did, you will walk forward into a great victory, step by step. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand? Father, Father, we just want to, we just want to thank you. We want to thank you for how great you are. We want to thank you for how you've loved us, how you chose us, barley, loaves, and all. Lord God, I want to ask that each person here would feel the, the destiny of Jesus pulling on their hearts. They would, they would feel and know that you have called them. Lord God, I pray that for each of us, we would be willing to face our fears and and walk and take the next step and do the things you've called us to do. Love people well. Start those new initiatives. Take those risks. Enter those new relationships. Leave those things behind that have held us in bondage. That we would say the words you've given us to say. That we would do the actions you've given us to do, Lord God. And we would love well as we are loved well. Thank you, Lord. 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 I'm going to ask in this moment if there's anyone here. And I don't know if this is your first time in church or you've been here many times before, but in your heart you, you know that you are far from Jesus and you want to close that gap. You want to stand up and say, I, I want to be reunited and reconciled to him. And if there's anyone here like that and you want to make that commitment, I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand where you are because I would love to pray with you. Thank you. Is there anyone else who would like to do that? Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else who would like to do that? Thank you, Lord. Church, can we all stand? And can we all pray this prayer together? Lord Jesus, I come to you and I surrender my life to you. Lord, I ask that you would come and fill me, that you would cleanse me, you would set me free, and you would change me. Lord, I pray that you draw me close to you and you would use me to do your will. Lord, I repent and turn from the way I've been living and I turn to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen.